people first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want, want purpose-driven work. work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hi, this is Sri Chalapa again with People Strategy Leaders Podcast. Um, today, I am excited to be joined with Steve Goldberg, who actually is an advisor to uh, Engagely as well. Um, Steve Goldberg has a 30-year career in all sides of HR process and technology. So he's been on the HR side of things with corporations and organizations, but he's also been on the product side of things as a product strategy leader. Um, he was a spokesman at um, PeopleSoft, and he co-founded a boutique recruiting tech firm and a change management firm in the past as well. Um, his diverse perspectives have been leveraged by both HCM solution vendors and corporate HR teams uh, and in practice leader roles at Burson and Ventana Research as well. So Steve, you have been on all sides of this <laughs> HR landscape. So welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have a nice chat with you here. I feel the same way uh, about being here with you, Sri. Always good to talk to you. So, Steve, one of your passion areas is AI in HR, and there's a lot of a lot of hype around that. And I really wanted to understand. You know, we've been talking about AI in HR for, gosh, I guess for at least ten plus years that I remember of. Uh, I'm sure it's been longer than that. Where are we today with the current capabilities in HR tech? And HCM overall. Yeah, great question. Thanks, really. Uh, so uh, I think I'll, before I talk about the capabilities, and I actually developed uh, some years back a framework, the AI and HCM framework, uh, and it's really five categories of use cases. I'll get to that in a minute. But I think, and I'm not the only person that uh, has articulated this, I think there's a tendency to conflate and confuse AI and machine learning. So just for the sake of you know, additional clarity. Let's just keep in mind that that AI really is about simu simulating how a human uh, thinks and processes information and makes decisions. Uh, and ML, machine learning, is really about how the system develops uh, intelligence. And usually the way the system develops intelligence is uh, through algorithms developed by humans. Uh, and if you have a set of or a series of algorithms, it's typically referred to as a neural network. So, you know, they intersect and oftentimes with the more sophisticated capabilities in AI slash ML, you have a dimension of each or a manifestation of each. But let's just uh, keep in mind that uh, the whole industry tends to use the term AI when we're more than likely talking about ML and, and algorithms. As far as uh where we are so let me uh, let me give you kind of a 
the, the synopsis of my framework on AI and HCM. So I spent uh, several years looking at uh, all examples of, uh, of leveraging AI machine learning in the world of human capital management. And uh, I, I would say 95% of those examples fell into five categories of use cases, right? Uh, and the five categories uh, or five words that are easy to remember, the three Ps stand for personalize, predict, and prescribe, and then understand and curate. So those are my five categories. Personalization, as we know, uh, often gets connected to learning, but it doesn't have to be confined to learning. In terms of learning content, by the way, it's broader than content. Personalized learning can relate to the pace of learning, can relate, relate to the medium, the best medium for you. Um, but uh, personalization is not just uh, restricted <laughs> or confined to the learning space. You could have personalization as it relates to engaging candidates, particularly candidates that don't wanna be engaged, otherwise known as passive candidates. They're well taken care of, most likely where they are. And you're gonna to have to be awfully uh, um, clever about how to get a passive candidate who's not looking for a job to engage with you about a potential job. And that involves personalization. Uh, again, what's the medium, what subjects do they like to talk about, and what is the context uh, for their lives? What I mean by that is, you know, I spent years in corporate HR and financial services. Anybody that knows how investment banks in particular work, uh, typically uh, bonuses are paid around the same time every year, typically around March. So if you know that about my kind of context, uh, then you know I'm probably not leaving until I know what my bonus is. That's also part of personalization. So personalization, next one is predict. For years, we've seen flight risk and or retention risk, kind of synonymous, uh, be predicted with the use of or by the use of algorithms. Uh, there's certainly uh, lots of efforts uh, to to go broader and more sophisticated than just flight risk. And by the way, there's several detractors in the market, smart people that that feel that uh, flight risk uh, algorithms are laden with bias. And maybe we'll talk about bias later. But as far as other predictive sort of uh, predictive HCM scenarios, you know, predicting productivity, predicting retention, uh, predicting behaviors and outcomes. So personalize, predict, the next one is prescribe. I think we're really in the beginning stages of really being able to prescribe what works best in different situations. I personally think that the H, the corporate HR function will be uh, expected to do more prescribing and almost act like a hub of experimentation and research. You know, best practice is typically not enterprise-wide. You have different dynamics in each part of the business, as you well know. So I think HR departments more and more are going to have to uh, use algorithms and other means of, of looking at what works best in each part of the business. Where can we have contractors? Where, where should we be kind of uh, indifferent about whether it's an employee or a contractor or whether it's a work from home situation or, work or, or come into work? So I think prescribing, uh, we're going to have to have to be uh, as HR departments collecting data and developing algorithms and look at those outcomes in terms of productivity and business results. So, 
That's the three Ps. Understand very quickly is let's understand why, for example, less people, uh, a smaller percentage of people are accepting our job offers. Uh, let's understand why there's more accidents in the factory. Uh, and then lastly is curate, and I kind of view curating as, uh, well, in relation to being more productive in the job. So you may want to curate resources that relate to people, like mentors and coaches. You may want to um, curate content to be more productive in the job. So those are my five categories of use cases, and I think there's um, different levels of sophistication, maturity, and also different levels of dependencies uh-huh. which kind of impact how much you could rely on the, on the outcomes. Great. So for the benefit of the audience, let's just name those five again. Uh, the first one was? Yeah, the, the three Ps, personalize, personalize predict, predict, personalize, predict and prescribe. prescribe. And, and the last two, you know, be prescriptive about a certain course of action. And the last two are understand. You know, understand why something's happening and curate, curate particularly to be more productive in the job, curate resources. Yeah, awesome. You know, I think as we look at AI and ML, you know, it gets a lot of bad connotation. People don't want to be watched. They don't want to be necessarily be felt like they are they are an algorithm driven by another algorithm. What <laughs> I think uh, is interesting is as the uh, talent pool has gotten very very tight you have to do more with less. And when I say less, I mean less talent available overall in the market, regardless of whether it's a recession or not, and less of the skills available in the talent you already have, you know, and because things are changing mm-hmm. fast. Mm-hmm. You know, now suddenly you need new skills in this new future of work that I keep calling where people have gone hybrid, uh, managers are now, and we are working in a more network model, hierarchies are being broken down. So you have new management skills that are required, new uh, way of managing projects that are required, um, new skills in technology itself has been changing for years now. So AI and ML help with identifying where those gaps are and how do you optimize the resources that you have? Because you can't necessarily always go and get the next best engineer or the next best manager or marketeer or whatever Absolutely. that is. Yes, and you just gotta figure out what is the adjacent skill that maybe I can upskill on? How, how can I predict who's gonna leave, who's disengaged? You know, maybe there's some issues in the team that I can proactively solve and and not not be, be loosey-goosey about it anymore. They just can't afford to be anymore, right? Yeah, you know what you just said is probably the number one uh, or the essence of the number one uh, kind of use case I talked about when I give uh, industry talks. And namely, you have a gap. It's a, it's a staffing or resourcing gap or a skills gap or a combination of the two. You have options. Bring in a regular employee, uh, redeploy an existing employee, bring in a contractor or train somebody. And those are the fu- fundamentally the four kind of scenarios to addressing that gap. And the answer is going to be different in many different situations. And I think organizations that could solve for that have a distinct competitive advantage. So given that, uh, what, you know, if you look at all these five areas, what are the ones that hold the most promise in your mind today? The biggest yeah, impact. Thanks. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think personalization, uh, the, the uh, the more attention that the employee experience 
has justifiably gotten in recent years, you know, and starting probably coinciding with the so-called COVID era. And then we had, you know, words like the great resignation bandied about. Uh, but a lot of it comes down to employees wanting agency and control and being able to architect their own experience at work. A lot of it comes down to that. And a lot of it comes down to, I'll say three things. Agency, wanting to be an architect of your own experience and, and how your career is going to unfold. Um, I, I would say the second thing is, is wanting to feel valued. Uh, and wanting to feel valued means sources of the value you're delivering have to be uh, quite obvious to the organization. Uh, and not just in the confines of your job, but more broadly. You may be referring candidates that become great employees. You may be mentoring or coaching, et cetera. And the third thing I think that's become uh, much more relevant today that was not talked about when I was in corporate HR was the absolute critical need to balance the needs, interests, and goals of the employee and the organization. And when employees feel like they're getting... <laughs> Their context, their needs, interests, and goals are looked at kind of after the organization is taken care of, then employees think about leaving. Or if they're there, they're probably not um, at their best. So, you know, I, I think that's where AI and ML will come in handy the most, and, are, and, and that's happening today. Personalization. Uh, understand uh, it's incumbent upon the organization and the line manager that's closest to what's going on. HR, keep in mind, is only like 1% of the organization. So line managers uh, are an extension of HR, if you will. And they, they need to have visibility and knowledge about what that employee is going through so that the needs, interests, and goals can be balanced. And needs and interests and goals, don't they don't stay the same for years on end. So the line manager has to know when that individuals kind of context, personal context, what they're dealing with in their lives. Line manager has to know when that's changing. And if there's some data being collected around that, maybe through check-ins. I know Engagerly does a great job around performance and check-ins. And that's some of the data that should be collected in check-ins. Is everything kind of status quo, quo in your life? Or there's some new things you're dealing with? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the big ones that I see, uh, which you know, we at Engagely are looking at as well, is how do you make manager a better coach? Can AI and ML or NLP, which is not necessarily AI or ML, but it, it's talked in the same vocabulary, um, be helpful to give manager better ways to coach, better words to use instead of being, let's say, too harsh or too critical or... Uh, are not being very specific about their feedback they give, for example, right? That's interesting because there are tools out there that are still emerging, so I wouldn't say they're perfected, that match coaches and coaches based right, on right. what would be the most effective kind of in terms of compatibility. So you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, and But even the language that you use in your giving your feedback and giving your even assessments that you do, it's important because I think we also have to realize employees have changed. And I don't know if it is maybe just a Gen Z or millennial mindset or whatever that is. People want feedback, but they want feedback and recognition and they want it to be very constructive. You can't be authoritative. You know, those things, the, the dynamics have changed. So as the yeah. managers who might not have 
necessarily changed with the times have to now be better managers at, at be able to do that. So I think AI and ML uh, and NLP in this case, for sure, can definitely uh, help with that. I agree. Um, yeah, another point I wanted to highlight is this, uh, the, let's say the difference between algorithm-driven predictive HCM and pattern detection. Pattern detection, you know, for example, uh, you know, like I uh, alluded to before, uh, in financial services, bonuses are paid in a certain time of year. There's other kind of events that are, uh, can be timed and predicted from a timing standpoint. Uh, you know, passive candidates, ones that are not in the market, are probably not going to respond to a blanket email that doesn't even reference this situation. Yeah. So those are that's pattern recognition more than predictive, sophisticated predictive capabilities. The good thing about pattern recognition, even with like uh, sentiment analysis, sentiment analysis is a burgeoning area or emerging more than burgeoning. And and it's just like one of the themes that are popping up in anonymized emails and discussion boards. That's pattern. That's discerning a pattern. Yeah. Pretty low, pretty low risk. And as long as you're not betting the farm on those, uh, you know, uh, patterns that you're detecting, you could reasonably test some uh, some interventions. Uh, you know, maybe uh, certain words around, oh, we don't like the new benefit plans, and they're popping up in anonymized emails. Yeah, uh, there's certainly uh, that can be investigated and maybe a, a course correction has to take place. Very low risk compared to uh, algorithms, which we may or may not talk about the bias factor. That's up to you. Yeah, yeah. No, one of the big ones is the bias part, you know, and uh, I know we have maybe another 10 minutes. So I want to quickly focus on that. Uh, the machine learning and AI is only good as the data you feed it, right? For the, for the most part, at least when it gets started. Um, and it and human bias can then start bleeding into the AI's bias uh, if you don't see it right. Um, can you talk about what are the concerns, main concern there, but how, how should uh, technology companies and HR leaders look at that to make sure that doesn't happen? Yeah, so like you, like you uh, said, you know, wherever you have <laughs> humans for better or worse have biases. Uh, they're not necessarily intended uh, intentional. They're not necessarily harmful to society, but humans have biases based on their own uh, uh, life situation and and uh, and what they've experienced in their lives. So um, let's keep in mind, relative to algorithms, humans come up with the blueprint for collecting the data. They are analyzing the data. Uh, they are create, building the algorithms. They're interpreting the results of the algorithms. And each step in that process, there's room for bias. And are there ways to mitigate it? There are. And the algorithms that are more reliable and more valuable, in my view, uh, they've taken appropriate steps, just like in a laboratory or in, you know, in uh, traditional science. You're taking steps to validate and uh, and extract out human bias wherever you can. Um, so that's that's one point. Another point is, you know, the uh, the gravity of the decisions that are made based strictly on machines. Uh, you know, these days, you know, if, if, if we think about, you know, I, I live in Florida near uh, where where uh, 
there are rocket ships that go up into space. And are we relying strictly on machines to uh, to manage that situation and to predict uh, possible errors and risks? It's not 100% uh, dependent on machines. There's a lot of capable humans that are augmenting and amplifying and just kind of, co you know, uh, collaborating with machines. That's what I was looking for. So I would say if an organization is going, let's say, I'll just come up with a hypothetical. Let's say an organization is an aggregator in an industry, meaning they're buying up companies and they want to know where there's going to be culture fit because culture fit when you don't have it can really undermine the accretive value of, of bringing organizations together. So you want to predict culture fit. Um, should I rely on an algorithm for that based on five or 10 variables? Probably not if, you, if it's a multi-billion dollar transaction, but algorithms combined with human experience, human perspective uh, would probably uh, yield pretty good results in terms of predictive value. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, as long as we don't descend into Westworld, I'm good with the AI, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you never know. Westworld, yeah, good yeah. movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, the HBO show, which is, uh, which was not, you know, not exactly the ending I was hoping for, but it is what it is. Well, I, actually, I, I said movie because I, th I think it was based on a movie, wasn't it? I, sure. It was based on a yeah, yeah. older movie or a show. That's I right. Remember. I think it was a movie. That's uh, right. Most likely, um, but um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of promise, but it's it's in the hands of the operator at many times, as we say. Um, and I think, uh, you know, AI and ML can augment the human decision making, not replace it, yeah. um, as I yeah. like to put it, you know, um, and ultimately make it should be used for the benefit of uh, doing good. And I think that's what one of the things that Sundar Pichai, the CEO of um, Alphabet Google, said that, right, because it's not like I, I don't know exactly what, what he said to paraphrase, but he said he has trust in humanity. Um, That's right. Over over technologies. I love that speech that he gave a couple of weeks ago. It was great. Yeah. So, so I know that and I only have time for that much, uh, Steve. But any closing thoughts you want to offer to people considering AI in their ATM uh, world? Yeah, just based on my experience, uh, uh, particularly on the practitioner side, and trying to with my teams back then take advantage of innovations. Back then, AI and ML didn't exist. We did have some predictive capabilities around flight risk. Um, but one thing that we became very acutely aware of was, and I alluded to this before, where there's major kind of operational dependencies. Um, I'm talking mostly about data here. So my kind of I've been, I've been on a soapbox almost my whole career with respect to relying on data and specifically the fact that HR cannot be the owner of data, of people data. The enterprise has to own people data. Uh, employees, contractors, managers, senior managers, and HR, they all have to understand that they all own a piece of data, of people data reliability. So much is riding on the integrity uh, and reliability of that data. Uh, it's just insane to think uh, that the HR department should, should be responsible for good data. Uh, when the enterprise signs up to that, you get a lot better results. And, and of course, in terms of AI and ML, uh, it, it's absolutely relevant in that realm as well.
Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Steve. That was very insightful. You know, we at Engagely, honestly, you know, totally believe HR strategy is business strategy. So if you're not doing HR strategy as your business strategy, you know, you're leaving a lot on the table. So I yep. really, really appreciate your time, Steve. It's been, it's been a pleasure. I would love to keep talking, but maybe we'll bring you back on the show for as we learn more about uh, the implications of AI in a few months. Totally. Love thank to. You. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank Take you, care. Steve. And thanks uh, for listening to the show. Until next time. Bye, everybody. <clears throat> Shri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders Podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag people strategy leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.